Welcome back to At Source, a community conversation that gets to the origin of matters that affect us the most. I'm your host, Kieran Cook, and together we'll be diving into health and wellbeing, gaining useful insights direct from the source. Rob Campbell is Chief Strategy Officer at Colenso BBDO, a creative agency that has worked with iconic local and global brands to produce award-winning work that has the power to create positive change. With Google, Nike and Spotify among the brands Rob has worked alongside, his career path has seen him become a well-known strategist and a champion of creativity and chaos. In this episode, we talk about one of his latest projects, as well as unpacking some of the potential creativity he has for impacting society. Welcome, Rob. Hey, great to have you here, Rob. Thank you uh, for thanks having for me. joining us. Uh, joining me on the At Source podcast. So I saw I saw you uh, beam in on LinkedIn, and uh, I thought, wow, this is great material and uh, material that I think's got relevance for. You know, not just uh, you know youth and looking at youth culture here in New Zealand, but probably on a global sphere has probably got some pretty interesting key messaging. I think across um, the world, and I'm interested in and in talking about it today. Your project, Dream Small, um, and of course, just a little bit about your background too. So we'll jump straight in, diving right in. Uh, we'll talk about. It's just for a start of your head of strategy at the moment at Colenso BBDO in a position that you've held a few times before. Um, so I'm just interested uh, what your journey's been like directing um, your creative energy professionally, start, you know, for starters. Um, that sounds far more grandiose than actually any decision making has <laughs> been. Uh, for me, I've always been about, I follow really where my instinct and gut takes me to. Um, I wish there was some more cleverly thought out career. It's like my entire career has been a lot of happy accidents, but it's allowed me to go and live in lots of countries uh, and experience and learn lots of things. And for me, I was brought up with parents that wanted me to live a life of fulfillment, not contentment. It took me a long time to work out what that meant. Um, But for Mm. me, yeah, it's following where you're, where you get scared but it's exciting. And so, yeah, I've, my, my wife and my son and my cat have been along for the ride, thank God. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I just saw from an educational point of view that you've, um, your background, you attended the South Knotts College in, was that in London? No, no, that was in Nottingham. Right? Um, it, it was in, yeah, in where I grew up. I mean, basically my entire education was at the bottom of my street. So um, I think- oh. How perfect, yeah, how so, handy you could have got, you got up late and rolled into lectures. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah, so. Um, you, you yeah, know, marketing, law, lateral thinking, I thought, wow, I don't think we really, we do business innovation here in New Zealand, but lateral thinking, I'm thinking, how cool is that? Yeah, it is now I think of it. At the time it was like, okay, um, my family, <laughs> my family, uh, you know, very much like lawyers, uh, human rights, so um, I was always going to go down some elements of that. But yeah, th- they were hugely supportive of me just learning and expanding life. As I said, fulfillment over contentment. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's just awesome because that's about, you know, I guess being part of the process and really buying and sort of being heavily invested and enjoying what you're doing as opposed to kind of thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of kids these days have a lot of pressure to be driven by the almighty dollar as opposed to sort of doing the stuff that they really want to be doing. Um, but I think you're being a little bit humble. I mean, you've led talented teams and created award-winning work for brands like Google and Nike and Spotify and IKEA. And you've had a creative career that's spanned over 30 years. So, uh, you know, it is uh, interesting work that you're doing. And obviously it's interesting too that you've landed here in little old New Zealand. And I say that uh, (laughs) a bit wryly because we are a small, um, you know, we're small on that global stage. And I know that uh, Colenso packs a punch and holds its own in yeah. that global sphere and does some pretty interesting work and some award-winning work. Uh, so is it sort of holding your interested interest, you know, as Chief Strategy Officer there, the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, I love Colenso and it definitely uh, plays, it's, I love it because it scares the big boys and I've always loved the triumph over adversity story. 
But um, I think being here, it's got more interesting for me because I've found how weird it is under the surface. I feel great privilege and honor to be here. Um, I really, truly do. Um, what I found fascinating though is the, 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 uh, the perspective and perception around the world is not necessarily always uh, what you find here. Not in a bad way necessarily, though some things might be, but I, I, yeah, I kind of, um, I'm addicted to the, uh, the strange. So there's more than enough to mm. go around here. Mm. Well, I, I understand what, you know, you, you talk about chaos and in the creative process and the, the, the journey about being uh, part of that, you know, chaotic process, I guess, and uh, not getting complacent or ignoring the truth of culture. And I, I'm just interested in your own words to hear how you'd expand around that about not ignoring the truth of culture, because I think that leads us a little bit into Dream Small. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I believe that um, the truth is the starting point for anything to start connecting with people, but not the not convenience, the nuance, the codes that often are hidden uh, underneath that we all can tell whether someone's real or full of it. Um, I think a lot of the industry talks around disruption and I get it, but for me, mm, disruption mm. is about being different to stand out where chaos and the energy of chaos is actually about understanding the, the nuance and the deep truths that makes you feel are deeply connected. So for me, like the work that I've done with Nike amongst others has always been about the authenticity of what an athlete, the core athletes think, rather than just trying to make people run. Yeah, so the, the truth is a magnet. That's yeah. how I look at it. Yeah. Do you think that disruption's necessary in today's world to capture people's attention though? Um, I think disruption has been misinterpreted as do anything to be noticed. And I think that's what's coming yeah. out a lot. Um, but disruption of uh, changing the way people look at the world, see things, understand things, that's still relevant. Unfortunately, um, speed is often uh, favoured more than substance. Uh, but I'm one mm. of the old school in that respect. Mm. So do you think that uh, getting noticed and quickly is different than the power of chaos? Well, I mean, I think the power of chaos for me, I mean, lots of people talk about chaos. Chaos ultimately is how outsiders see it. They, they don't understand it. But for people within a culture, that's just the normality and the reality of stuff. Um, you know, I hear so many people, they talk about things like, everyone judges everything from their own lived experience. And, you know, so you're hearing at the moment a huge amount of people talk about the great resignation. Great resignation this, great resignation mm. that. But if you actually spend time understanding from the perspective of the people who are doing that, you realize that for a lot of them, it's basically the great reset. And for the rest, it's like the last hope. And I think too many people are very quick to make a judgment from a pedestal rather than getting to the nuance of swimming it. So that's why I have a really wonderful bunch of range of weird, lovely people um, who are part of the culture so they can actually interpret it as it's meant versus someone like me who can only interpret it from a pedestal. So my, my job is... I'm not going to sit here and say, I understand. I, will I ever be able to understand New Zealand culture like a local? Absolutely not. And if I ever pretend I can, punch me in the face. But what I can do is with the knowledge of the people I've got around me and just the things that I do, I can spot where there's differences and I can explore that. But yeah, you need, you need yeah. people who are in it rather than people who just observe it. That's my view anyway. Yeah. And I think possibly that lens that you're referencing where you're sort of slightly on the outside for want of a better word or you're just looking at it, you know, through a looking glass is possibly useful. Um, just going back to this chaos piece because I'm interested in this. Um, I think that, um, you know, that hindsight or context often brings meaning. So if, you, if you're thinking about a painter like Jackson Pollock and his paintings, if you're familiar with Pollock's work, you know, the, the chaos in those paintings, Pollock would, would have talked about those paintings quite differently in the making. 100%. But, you know, walking through a museum and looking at, at those, those, those paintings on the wall, the interpretation of those, you know, 
years down the track, we talk about them in a postmodern context, right? So if you, you know, for our listeners today who, who might understand a little about modernism being a reaction, you know, uh, it's just my, my point being that I think that it's not until you step away from something, whether it's a project or a piece of work, that chaos becomes understood. Totally. I mean, I think... Yeah, one person's uh, version of reality is a, someone else's completely uh, confused state. I think, I mean, when I lived yeah. in America, I went to see uh, three African-American women, um, Chelsea, Brian, Maya. Um, they changed my life, basically, in a lot mm. of ways. And we went to see Get Out together, the movie, and they asked me what I saw when I told them. And then they said, well, it's funny, we saw a very different movie. And, you know, because what, when they were explaining to me, I was going, really? Which is absolute the definition of, like, my privilege in a lot of respects. And, and to a lot of people, I go, oh, my God. But their, their lived experience is a reality that allows a lot more explanation. And to your point, with Pollock, if you ask Pollock about the painting, that, that he, he was seeing something. We might see splatter. Um, yeah. But there was a... There was a there was a soul in that. And even when he describes his work, which was very much about his feeling and moods in a lot of his work, yeah. there was still a definition of that, which takes him back to a moment. Um, and well, he was seeing something blindfolded. Yeah, totally. That's the irony. Yeah. Because <laughs> he wasn't actually looking yeah. when and he was doing it. And I think that's yeah. the bit... I think there's... Uh, have you ever, Do you watch the TV show Succession? Have you ever watched that? Yeah, yeah sure. So, I loved it. So what I find really interesting is, if you, if you look at that, the last episodes. Yeah. It was obvious. The ending was shocking, but we weren't paying attention. I think mm. part of the thing is that, are we really paying attention? I'm paid to pay attention. Mm. I asked my colleagues yeah. to pay attention. Um, mm. And that means being interested in what others are interested in rather than just what you are. And that's why I, I'm very honoured I get to live here and I've lived in lots of countries. Because while I'll never know it like a local, I, I've been exposed and I've learned things that hopefully I can contribute and add to it rather than just take. But it means that mm. I pay attention. And um, I don't know if we're all doing that as much as maybe we should these days. That's right. So let's, let's talk about this uh, project that you're working on, which has got this sort of laser focus on New Zealand youth culture. Yeah. So here you are. Uh, you're not a Kiwi. You're here. And you've you've got this project running, and I believe you've done your, one of your first presentations quite recently yeah. um, on this this book, this upcoming book, Dream Small, uh, which is about the views and experiences of New Zealand youth culture, um, which which is a tough book because some of these these uh, perspectives are hard to hear, um, and it's really about bringing these to the fore. Um, so I'm interested in diving right in on this and talking about this project. I'm just, I'm just really curious uh, how this project came about and I guess um, your relationship to this project and why Colenso also has kind of aligned itself to a project like this. Um, well, I mean, I used to do a lot of stuff like this with Nike around the world um, and I always found it really fascinating. It's not claiming to be science or the be-all and end-all, but what was interesting is when I came to New Zealand, um, first of all, I wanted to just get to know it, um, and it often can help. But secondly, I read a lot of books and research, and it all, I don't know, it just didn't feel as raw as I've expected or that I'd experienced in early life. And I believe uh, my job and, you know, a key element of what Colenso's job is, is to understand culture. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, because that enables us to help our clients in ways that can let them be connected to them in a way that's authentic rather than, uh, I don't know, uh, deaf. <laughs> and um, mm. so we talked about it and we said we're going to do it. And what was really important for us and the way that I've always done it in the past, I can't go out there. I wouldn't understand the nuances of that. So we had a team um, that come from okay. uh, different cultural backgrounds, which is also important. So they're part yep. of the culture rather than observers of it, a photographer. And all I wanted um, to do was uh, allow youth to speak about what they see their life and their future. We are not putting 
we're not going to put the words in the mouth. We're not going to, like the whole point of Dream Small is not to add another voice that's interpreting theirs. It's let them speak for themselves. Yeah. And so they went out. How did you, yeah. So how did you, I'm just curious, like how did you pick your, your you know, how did you select the right voices for the project? Um, well, you only plan about 25% of it. And you plan that 25% just to make sure that you've got some sort of grounding in each area. And so you can um, so you can start the connection force. But it's certainly not done okay. as a focus group. I mean, part of this is about people introducing us to other people to enable that voice to be um, spread and shared, but with almost like their validation that we're okay to, to listen, that we'll listen. This is a job of listening, not talking. Um, yeah. And that's why I'm, it's not claiming to say it speaks for an entire generation. But what I found really fascinating when I started hearing things back, it was a narrative that is rarely um, spoken um, and definitely needs to be heard. And it was the same sort of narrative wherever we went. That doesn't mean everyone was feeling the same way. Um, but there is a, there is without doubt an undertone that a lot of people, and I, I, I don't feel I have a right to speak for them, but what the overall take was, a lot of people who feel tolerated rather than welcomed right now in this uh, country. Okay, so just a couple of questions. Uh, when did you start the project? Like, how far back are we talking? Uh, December. So, uh, December okay, so quite, quite recently. Yeah. So, okay. So, this is sort of, okay, December, and what age, like, what generation are we talking? We're talking about, uh, basically 15 to 20. 15 to 20, around that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Do you think that these perspectives um, are unique to the COVID nope. era that we're in at the moment? I, I think that's one of the things that lots of people like to use as their excuse for it. Um, the situation mm. has been going on in New Zealand far longer. You have to just look at the youth suicide rates, for example, to just understand that this is far more than just a COVID aspect. I'm not denying COVID has played a huge impact. Um, I was in the UK. I was at... Uh, Stuck at home for a year. I'm, I'm not denying that. But when you understand and hear the language that's being said and you really listen to it, they're not talking about COVID. In fact, very few people actually related anything back to COVID. They were talking about the okay. context so, yeah. of the situations and the, and the future that they have. They love this country. This is not, they're not anti-New Zealand. It's really important. They love this country. They just would like to have a say in how it evolves. And a lot of them feel that they're being told what to expect. And that's hard, especially when you now have the internet that allows them to see the, the rights, the opportunities and the possibilities that are available in other countries without having to feel that they have to fight for it. Well, this is really interesting because with, with like you mentioned, you know, access to the internet. So from, from where I'm sitting, it would seem like, you know, information's never been more readily available, opportunities that come with that would seem to be a little bit more on steroids than than ever before the job market and and getting a job's never been more fluid than ever before um you know education's become more accessible than ever before uh so i'm just interested in what some of the barriers are you know in your words that some of the youth in new zealand are facing at the moment i think for again without wishing to speak on behalf of people what what we heard there were a lot of issues as regards closed minds. If we want to talk about okay. um, an underbelly of conversation, the, the feeling that they're walking into a lot of situations where there's closed minds of what they can expect, what they should do, what they should value. Um, there was uh, one person in particular and their view about they do not want to be called a Kiwi. They think a Kiwi is an outdated terminology representing a montage of stereotypical images they don't relate to and don't want to aspire to. And, mm. um, and again, this is not someone who dislikes this country. They love this country. Um, they love what this country is supposed to represent. But there was a lot of talk about our pioneering spirit but we haven't, yeah. how much have we pioneered recently in some respects? And it feels okay. quite retrospective. Um, and and so they don't feel like we're, we're, we're sort of a land of opportunity with, like they don't see us as sort of as a startup 
yeah, they don't see themselves as part of a startup generation or that we're part of necessarily an innovation culture or I mean I'm interested in your thoughts on that because I, would, I think I would say you have to be we, very we privileged have... to have a startup culture here say it again you, you, it is an active privilege to be part of a startup organization here yeah yeah it's a minority is what you're saying it's not it's not it's not just a minority it's a very wealthy minority who um yeah. the and I saw this in other places that I've lived. I mean, it's not unique to New Zealand. Mm, the bit no, that I think is unique to New Zealand is it's a relatively, well, it is a small population. Small. Uh, but the mm. amount of foreign investment is far smaller than in other markets. And so yeah. what happens is the, the rate of change is very small here. And so yeah. you can often feel, and someone said this to me um, when I first got here, it's a nation... Uh, run by old white men who would rather it grow old than grow up. And you can say what you like about that and whether that's true or not. But having lived here, and I, again, and it's lovely, but I do, the having lived in places like Shanghai, LA, London, which I appreciate, I appreciate are hugely different in all manner of ways. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's harder here for, for youth to feel seen, heard and valued and the things that they value being accepted and respected it, without doubt, because there's not enough brands that come in that reinforce that yet on the internet, they can see it's happening. Yeah. So what you're really sort of um, talking about here is there's a significant lack of opportunity and that that in itself could create, you know, more of an insular generation and insular perspectives. And I don't know if it's, in, it's I don't know if I'd use the word insular because I don't think, I think I, I have far more faith in youth than I do of my age group by a country mile. Do um, you? Even, even after the sport? 100%. 100%. The, there are, I think it's amazing here. Uh, all youth is amazing in the fact that it's the problem. The problem is they're not dreaming small. They're being asked to dream small. They've got lots right. of aspirations. They've got lots of possibilities. Okay. Um, but yeah. it is a system of, um, and it's not done for nasty. I, I totally get it. It's a bit like, my father wanted me to go into law because he was very, he wanted to go, it's a good career for you. It's, it's steady. I would have been the world's Stable. worst lawyer. Mm. Yeah, I would have literally been the world's worst lawyer. I would have lost every case and, you know, there'd be a disaster. <laughs> um, but, oh, no, I have huge faith in the youth here. Uh, what I worry about is that they're, they're not being heard or respected and the opportunities then are being restricted so they'll either leave but you can't even go on an OE now. OEs are hugely expensive. No. And so that's, that's, for right. the, that's for the privilege. Yeah. And there's also an underlying attitude of if you did an OE for two years, eight years ago, you think that you're better than everyone else. And it's like, hang on. There's people that know what's yeah. going on. So there's a lot of complexity in this. Um, but those are some, uh, just to cut in there, Rob, I think those are sometimes those global complexities that I talked about at the beginning of our chat, you know, I think this in this COVID era that we're in now, travel's become really expensive for everybody. And this notion of jumping on a plane and sort of, you know, finishing school and gapping it for a gap year or, you know, going to Bali for sort of 499, those days are over, you know, everything's 30% more. It's just travel's hiked. There's a lot of people so from this country. You have been robbed of that. Yeah, but there's I a think. lot of people here who are doing the AOE, who do come from privilege. So, yes. Um, but less the, so. Less the so. Down, but right? what, it, what it's become is it, it used to be um, a greater right for all, and now it's just for those of the privilege, that, without a doubt. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There's less backpacking going on and yeah. less, you know, exploration on the global stage, you know, for young people. And I think they feel like, and rightly so, they've lost a lot of their sort of rites of passage you know, leaving and being able to do those things. What I found interesting is that I've also spoken to a lot of people who went on an OE and then came back. Um, mm. Older, older people, so to speak. And mm -hmm. <laughs> what I found out, I said, why'd you come back? And all my, a huge amount basically said, uh, well, one said it really well, said, I uh, came back to settle down, but I pretend that's not why I came back. And, you know, just recently, a member of parliament was talking about how in the UK, 
the visa situation. If you're in the UK for five years, you can qualify for a visa. And they were basically saying, yeah. if you go over there for three years, you'll stay for two, and then you've got it. it almost as if it was wrong to send people over. And mm. uh, um, the, this country is a it's genuinely pretty special. And my wife's an Aussie, and I love Australia, but she gets very annoyed. I, I genuinely prefer New Zealand <laughs> to a whole bunch of reasons. But um, the future of this country... That that I genuinely worry about because yeah, it's yeah. not allowing. How old are your news. kids? Uh, seven. How you've got and what got one? Yeah, a seven. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean it's a great place to bring up kids, and I can understand why. For now, it's going to suit you quite well. Yeah, I mean it's an amazing. But uh, uh, you know, it's a ama- it's absolutely amazing. But you know, my son was born in China, and uh, mm. somebody said, "Why would you have a child there?" Someone said that to me. And I was like, whoa, yeah. man, that's that's scary. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. know, you get that everywhere you go. But the the this country needs needs vibrancy and ideas. Um and and to do that, it needs to let things in, not close things off. And I what we've heard is the feeling of uh conform or get left behind. That's what we hear. Yeah, so who, who's who's not listening to, you know, our young people? Who who are the shapeshifters that could essentially affect change? Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, if I want to be a real... Like, where does it change? Yeah, let, let's just get pragmatic about this. So if this is how our young people are feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and we, and we need change and we need to create vision for our young people so they can dream big and feel like they don't feel displaced and they've got a, a place to be and they can visualise being here, not not uh, gapping it, and slinging their hook. Um, you know, who's who are the people that are going to make this place a better place for well, them? Well, I mean, every single person who's a, an adult would be a start. Governments would be a start. Mm-hmm. Companies would be a start. When you have right. someone like Mike King who is vehemently criticised when he's ultimately trying to literally deal with an issue that New Zealand has a hugely disproportionate issue with. Um, You can't, you can kind of accept why a lot of youth would go, well, what hope have we got? Someone's trying to do it and it still gets that. Um, I think the great irony is, I think lots of people know this. Uh, I think lots of people know that this is, that, that there's a, there's a way of how things operate here. We, I heard somebody in a position of authority at a talk say that tall poppy doesn't exist. That's an outrageous, that's a genuinely outrageous claim. Mm. And, mm. you know, so there's a lot of things where there's subtle conformity. And again, happens everywhere. And all that we're trying to understand with the book is not to criticise New Zealand. It's the fact that the future of New Zealand a really good, vibrant future um, could be helped by allowing youth the chance to express and explore rather than to feel they have yes. to conform. That's all, we're, all yes. we've heard. Do you think that at, at, at a grassroots level, um, elevating the, the you know, creative pursuits and creativity at you know, tertiary level would sort of support some of that a bit better. Yeah, at the moment it's quite an undervalued, undervalued sort of undernourished kind of pathway. And and I mean, I could speak to that. I mean, I went off to art school. Yeah, you know, studied right up to PhD level in fine arts instead of going to business school, which which would have horrified my family back in the eighties. <laughs> so a bit like you, I went off and followed a dream. Um, you know, and then kind of did end up back in the commercial world, but it was a funny kind of journey. Um, so I guess, you know, I'm just interested, you know, back in my day, it was risky going off to art school. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's even but, more but, so you know, now, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, just it's last... probably still considered to be risky. Yeah, I mean, just last week, one of the uh, British Prime Minister candidates, um, uh, Sunat, he, he basically said he would like to stop degrees in uh, subjects that they feel do not generate a livelihood income for the participants of it, which is basically saying wow. the arts. Wow. So, 
I sit there and I go, so you're now deciding what, what's valuable. What would be valuable yeah, yeah. Uh, for someone who is a billionaire, which is also slightly ironic, um, would not be the arts. Mm. And yet uh, mm. England in particular owes so much of its um, economic value through to the arts. Mm. So I think mm. the, um, the arts are hugely mm. important. Um, they should be hugely supported um, because creativity is a very broad element of that. But so much of it is ultimately measured by the economic value that's demonstrable in the most direct way. And creativity works in different ways, at least certain elements of creativity. So, yes, I think the whole aspect of, like, my son has the most, he goes, it, it, he has an amazing life here. He loves it, like, absolutely. And the teachers, the teachers of Birkenhead Primary, where he goes, are phenomenal. Like, uh, yeah. especially... That's a good plug for the school. Yeah, yeah. Local it's, school, Birkenhead Primary. Yeah. Especially compared to yeah. Victorian England in the way that they look at so much of that education. Yes. But, um, but as you get older, then you're prepared for life. And what that often mm. means is this is what's important. This is what you should value. This is what we do. And mm. that's where with the small, relatively small population and lack of foreign investment, those, those things create a perfect storm where... Yeah, where you can feel lost really quickly. Mm, yeah. In terms of, you know, being entrepreneurial, uh, did you encounter or find in, in talking to, you know, all these young people that there were a good number of them that, you know, were entrepreneurial but felt stifled? Yeah, I mean, and I suppose entrepreneurial has a broad range as well. We met, this, uh, we met this great guy and he says, uh, I want to be a rapper, uh, but if I tell my dad I'm going to be in a lot of trouble, so I'm going to be a mechanic. And we're going, okay, uh -huh. what, where's a mechanic? And what was also interesting goes, because both of those mean you're independent and I get to choose how my life is rather than have someone tell me what to do. And, you, and suddenly okay. this thing, which was quite interestingly broad, suddenly became really, like they were aware. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of people with... Lots of ideas, um, mm. lots. But there's also a group of people who almost feel that we heard someone talk about wanting to be a landscape and there's nothing wrong with being a landscaper. That's amazing. Um, but the way they described their reasons behind it was that they said, I'd rather just do that and not have to stress because I'm not going to have a chance. We had people talk about, uh. forget about having a car or a house. They went, how would I ever have a family? Um, we have others that talk about mental health and they talk about it takes two minutes to order a pizza but it takes weeks to order like there's a there's um there's an unspokenness and this is why i found it so interesting because i wasn't hearing this in a lot of the commentary that was going on and having lived in lots of countries i found that that's what actually attracted me i was going either this place is perfect or something's not happening and and there are a lot of people and again not scientific, not saying it's a general view of everyone, but this is conversation that is rarely being heard, yet it is felt by a lot of people. And, and it's important, it's important for them, but it's also important for the future of this country. And uh, So you're saying you're surprised, you're surprised. It was almost like it came out from under a rock. I was surprised, well, I was, I was surprised no one had talked about it, very few people. Um, what yeah. that was what surprised me because having lived in lots of countries, you know, there's an element of youth wanting, there's always a generational element to it, um, where people are trying to push through and they create the next energy. And because of foreign investment yeah. scale, they, they do that. But there was a real, I found it really interesting how everything was like, this is what's, this is how it is. And mm. uh, people were more than happy to talk, which means people aren't listening. Yeah. So how many people, like young people between 15 and 20, did you interview? I mean, we went, we went across New Zealand. Um, yeah. I mean, we spoke to a lot of people. Some, some we had long conversation with, some it was no or this is all I think. So in terms of quantity, if you're talking about actually 
like having a sit down with yeah. them. Uh, I don't know, 30 or 40. Um, okay. And, and, and across like North and South Island and rural and cities. Uh, it was it was more urban. We did have some rural elements, and that's a whole other element that's going in as well, because there's a sense yeah. of if you feel disconnected in Auckland, which you can also feel disconnected because you're you're supposed to feel that this is the city. It's all happening. If you're you know if, if you're in Thames, um, there's a whole different element to that. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of really passionate, talented people. There's a lot. Um, and, yeah, we, we just, just found a, it. You know, at 15, I'm just curious because, I mean, I've got a daughter who's nearly 15 and she can hardly pull a sentence together unless it's sassy and she wants to order Taco Bell, you know. So I'm just kind of curious how articulate you found the average 15-year-old. Uh, very articulate, actually. Really? Very. you know, I'm just... Yeah, I'm a little gobsmacked about that. I mean, well, maybe and, that's because she's talking and, to a mum. I'm not not saying that my daughter has got anything between the ears because she does, but I just don't find the average. You know, and I've met I've met her mates too. You know, they're not generally that chatty sort of with adults. They tend to sort of be good amongst themselves, peer to peer, but sort of less forthcoming with adults. So, so yes. I was just curious about that. What what you would be getting out of the average sort of fifteen year old? Well, part of that was because of the casting of who we sent, which I said was really important. Uh, the other mm. part is maybe that's because you're the mother. I don't know, but what I also know is <laughs> um, the bit that I find um, what you've said, and I'm not in any way suggesting that you have this view of all people of that age. But that is that is also something that perpetuate uh, has perpetuated throughout. Perpetuates. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so a lot of people of certain age immediately have written off the attitudes of 15-year-olds as going, they don't know what they're saying, and but no one's listening. Yeah. Maybe maybe we all need to listen a bit more. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Or maybe just some are a little more articulate than others. <laughs> maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of both, you know. So uh, in terms of supporting, you know, if, if you're feeling like there are some young entrepreneurs out there that aren't getting the support that they need, do you think that we need to be providing more for young people? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. You it, yeah, you, you think, think it's missing? missing? You think it's missing? I, I think there's, I think uh, companies could do a lot more. I think yeah. um, I think companies could do a, a huge amount more. Uh, but I feel just the infrastructure and, and what's valuable and what's valued and allowing people to feel that they can contribute to the voice or the, the future of this country. They're going to be the generation that inherits it. And not a, well, a large amount don't feel that they're getting uh, the ability to shape it. They're going to get it handed mm. to them. And um, so yeah. hearing that could make a big difference as well. That's, that's right. I want to talk about creativity in the workplace. So I'm not, I'm not thinking about agency land where it's all fizzing all the time. But I'm talking about, I don't know if you're familiar with the theorist Daniel Pink. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with his yeah. work? Yeah. So where, where he talks about, you know, the the MFA student being the new MBA student. And if, if, if businesses would, yeah, were to, were to embrace the concept that a fine arts graduate had as much benefit, if not more benefit, than an MBA student. Because essentially a creative is somebody who, you know, you know, conceptualizes, seeds, executes, stands up and actually presents, delivers in a robust way, convinces, persuades, sells in, gets it over the line, you know. So I guess, you know, do you think that there's some value in that for organizations to actually be embracing? And I, I mean, I'm a big believer in that. I mean, I've had to be a big believer in that, right? I mean, and I've, I've you know, I'm that person. So I, you know, I went from being that creative into agency land and actually moving into into a sales space, for goodness sake. So I've crossed that great big divide. But I guess I'm just interested in your perspective. I mean, if you, you know, if you look at um, business organizations and you think about innovation and you think about creativity and how you sort of embed that in organizations, um, do you think that that piece is kind of missing and needs to be sort of more deeply fostered within businesses and that they'd be more successful if they actually embraced it? Yeah, I mean, the, the way that I would 
maybe express my perspective is, do you know the edge effect in biology? No. So it, what's really interesting about nature is the fact that nature is constantly evolving. Um, mm. it, it's found a way around every possible situation. It's got a delivery system that would make Amazon globally look, you know, amateur. It's incredible. Um, yeah. And that is because the edge effect is often where forests and fauna and water meet. And that's where the new, the new elements come together through cross-pollination. It's, it's like this constantly evolving force. But corporations aren't like that. Corporations, they want harmony rather than um, truth in a lot of respects. They want mm. consistency rather than innovation. And so mm. if you're asking me, would someone with a, a master in fine arts be valuable to an organisation? That's not saying there's anything wrong with an MBA at all. I mean, personally, I would probably not go down that path. But, um, but anyone that sees the world differently but has expertise and deep history and knowledge, that, that should be seen as a valuable thing, as opposed yes, to yes. Um, a production line of uh, consistent values and thinking, which um, mm. I, 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 um, the, I do some work with Imperial College in London with their MBA students. Mm -hmm. And the professor yes. there basically brings me on to be a hand grenade Ah, yes, yes. To, yes, to create a little chaos. Yeah, and I, yeah. And, and I understand that. And it's, and it's simply, if you all have people who experience and value the same things in the same way, how on earth is an organisation going to evolve and grow? That's the difference between nature and corporations. So that's mm -hmm. why I do mm -hmm. like having people that um, share the same values, but maybe have learnt or earned it in very different ways. I, yeah, I, to I totally get it. Uh, and I, I think that it's great that you can be that hand grenade and, it, and that shake-up's incredibly vital and it's great that the Imperial College see value in, in bringing you on board, you know, and, and, and utilising your skill set in that way. Hey, this brings me to an interesting point um, about creativity. Uh, I mean, I've taught art for many years and still keep my hand in it a little bit. Um, but I'm interested in your perspective on this. Do you think that um, creativity is inside all of us uh do you think that um it's a skill i mean i personally believe that people have flair x factor but i do think it can be taught too i think i think there's a lot of skill factor around creativity um but do you think you know that non-creative people can be creative what do you think <laughs> um I, I believe that everyone has uh, an element of creativity in them, without a doubt. Um, when I lived in Shanghai, I found it fascinating that people would talk to me and openly say, oh, I'm not that creative, I'm not very creative. And then go, well, look at food. The creativity of how you look at food is... is a, and it was almost like this revelation of, oh, I hadn't yeah. looked at it that way. So I definitely think that there's creativity. Yes. Um, a, a, a level of yes. creativity. It's human nature. Do I believe that some yes. have a level of flair talent um beyond others ability say? a billion percent a billion percent. absolutely yeah. there are some yeah. people i've yeah. met where i go wow you are just like uh, you're just incredible and it's just effortless and you just go well there's just something mm. about but also um creativity is often uh i believe creativity is often should be judged by the exposure that you've had to it so Mm. You know, I've I've been very fortunate. I've worked at places where they have they have expanded my mind in terms of uh, what levels of creativity are. Uh, it's a bit like social media. Your experience is directly related to who you follow, and the same with creativity. So, mm. you know, someone who studied fine art like yourself, I would I would not even dare humiliate myself with the knowledge that you would have and the exposure, and you would without doubt be able to expose me and educate me in things that would help me be better, never to the level of yourself, but it would expand my base that moves it forward. I think the problem is sometimes we look at creativity as almost like a, a checkbox of a standard um, yeah. versus constantly yeah. evolving and provoking it. So yes, I think it's natural. Absolutely. Yes, you can be improved, but some, some are beautiful freaks and thank goodness for them. That's that's right. I yeah, I, I concur. I totally concur. Do you think uh, you know that 
you know, as humans, we're just wired to be afraid to fail. And I guess, you know, after talking to, you know, these young people here in, in New Zealand, you know, how do we encourage our youth to, you know, not be afraid to fail, to actually push through and actually dream big? How are we going to get through the through this great divide? Uh, I mean, I think everywhere is slowly educating people to fear failure. And the great irony is failure is what pushes us forward in every mm. aspect of life. I found it really interesting watching the All Blacks um, bar the last yes. game uh, crumble and just see how yeah. people have responded to it. Um, yeah. Because it's not just failure. It's almost as if they've been devalued. And I found that. Mm. Now, I, I appreciate know. they're professional sports people. Um, however, you know, failure is the fundamental way that we learn. And mm. we place so much pressure on people. I saw it firsthand in places in Asia I lived where the, where the pressure to pass an exam is so much um, and, it's, mm. and it's expanding everywhere. Um, I feel that we do have to rethink what failure is. That does not mean you, I can hear people going, he's saying celebrate failure. I'm not saying celebrate failure. I'm saying the acknowledgement that failure is the, the pathway to actually being epic. Um, but if yeah. you're frightened of failure, you're basically ensuring that you'll never be uh, brilliant because you're never going to put yourself in those situations where you're always growing. So it, it, it's been, That's having right. a child's been an amazing experience for a whole bunch of reasons. But uh, testing my values has been a really interesting one of the things that are important, mm. the role of failure. Mm. Um, but yeah, on, on that, I think perpetually uh, helping people be exposed to different forms of creativity and allowing people to see failure as a pathway to being better rather than a disappointment would be great for all nations, not just here. That, that's right. That's right. And that's what's so you know cool about Dream Small is that, yes, there are um, there's conversations that are unique to New Zealand, as you've pointed out, but there's also conversations that actually, you know, kind of work on that global stage as well. Um, I think just, just touching back on your some of the comments you've talked about here with you know, fearing failure. It's a little bit like resilience. You can talk until the cows come home about resilience, but it's not until you sort of step into those deep, murky waters and put the cloak on that you actually build resilience. It's the same thing. And on the At Source podcast, we've spoken a lot about resilience. Yeah. And it's not until you really need to claw into resilience that you actually kind of discover the, the tools around actually being truly resilient. Yeah. And recognizing that you are, right now in my life, I need a little resilience. Okay, this is it. Take a deep dive. Here we go, you know. Um, do you think that creativity has a role in tackling how countries deal with mental health? Because you have touched on this just a little bit today. Yeah, I mean, yes, I do. I believe that you've got to identify the problem to see how creativity can solve it. But I def definitely believe mm. that creativity has a huge range of ways of solving it. Um, and you're seeing it in the way that, you know, people are adopting different elements. You know, even running. I mean, you know, running is amazing for um, people who live with depression in alleviating that. And, you know, that's also a creative approach to doing it. So, yeah, I, 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 but you're talking to someone that believes that creativity can have a positive effect on anything. So, I'm. That's right. I am definitely not going to give you an objective. You're a subscriber. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, right. I lose all ability to be objective on that. Hundred percent. Yeah, but but I do like the way you frame that up, and the way that you've you know you've even sort of you know talked about running and looked at it in that kind of you know creative sphere, and you haven't kind of limited creativity to being something tangible that's related to a tool or an instrument, or you know you're looking at it really in a very holistic kind of three-dimensional way. Do you think that COVID has helped us to realise the power of creativity for health and well-being? What are your thoughts around that? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't know. Maybe for some people, yeah. and maybe for some people they haven't realised. Without doubt, cooking, um, the role of cooking mm. went up. And again, depends if you see that as a creative element. Um, I was doing mm. work with Le Creuset and it was fascinating just seeing their sales and how, what people were doing with that. Yes, um, yes. But, it, it, yeah, it, I don't know. It's, a re it's really hard. Without doubt, creativity in my household 
was an integral part of um, our well-being, without a doubt. And uh, I know a lot of a lot of the uh, cooking magazines, like Dish and so forth, just went through the roof. Like yeah. there was just so many recipes. Just you know, I, I spoke to the editor of of Good Magazine here. Uh, the At Source podcast, Caroline Enten, and she was saying that a lot of the um, the cooking publications just went through the roof during lockdown. What I think yeah. it did was it allowed people to feel, I mean, to our comment on failure, it was like, yes, fa- failing private means that no one sees it. And, like, I've never eaten so much bread in my life over COVID. It was just like, <laughs> and more Did variety. you make it? Yeah, we... we, we I, I ruined it, but I certainly was trying to make it. Um, but yeah, but I, that was that was beautiful in that respect. And you know, there, mm. there's, I mean, it was a. I had a real privilege in my COVID situation. I I lived in a house with a garden. I'm very aware of those elements, um, and I I was able, you know, I had a job and things. But what what I uh, what I experienced with COVID. Creativity is a natural part of our house. So when you ask that question, I think a lot of people may not realise that making bread was a, an act of creativity that helped them, but it probably was. Um, but again, it downs to the individual's and like interpretation of that, I would say. Mm. I think I think for, for a lot of people, cooking and, you know, you know bringing, bringing the dining out experience back into the home was sort of soothing and nourishing and maybe just also made people feel you know competent and capable and like they were able to kind of bring a quality of life into their own home so i think it ticked it ticked a lot of boxes yeah people could at least put their hands on good ingredients and yeah kind of keep some goodness going yeah when 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 things around them were closing down and out of control yeah but definitely my my wife like we had the alternative olympics at our house because we were stuck indoors and my wife wanted my son to feel yeah part of it so yeah but yeah i think there's lots of different ways i love that you the way that you express is so eloquent eloquent and beautiful and then mine's like some mishmash of mayhem but um it all comes together in the end somehow um it does i think the expression is the key part and feeling you can that's right that's right and I guess, like, lastly, I was just going to ask you about, you know, daily demands of life. I mean, obviously, the pace of life, and, and we're all living it, can be really draining. And I'm just interested on your tips on cultivating creativity and making space for it. I mean, I haven't painted for years. I can't think of the last time I actually painted. And um, my uh, partner's um, sister's got a 60th on the weekend, and she does all this cold water swimming um, in Canterbury, like gets in at seven degrees and does this invigorous, you know, nasal breathing, zen-like kind of cold water swimming. And I thought I'll paint her something from Banks Peninsula and I whipped something up over the last week. It wasn't half bad, I must say. I was like, oh, I can actually still do this stuff. Um, I popped it on Facebook and got this sort of deluge of comments, you know, wow, the light's amazing and this is a great looking painting. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is quite good. Um, so I guess like my point is that I haven't made any time and space to, you know, for a long time to make to make something um, what are your tips on cultivating creativity? Because I clearly haven't got any. Well, I mean, it's my job and my life. So I wouldn't dare suggest that I have any right to suge- to offer anything that anyone else could do because, because my world is a different world in that respect. Uh, I think we give ourselves a lot of hard times of the things we should cram in. I hope because it sounds like you enjoyed it so much. I did. It was a goal, that's why. It was an end point. It was like a project. Yeah, and I hope maybe that maybe for you that's all you needed to remember. But we... Can I just go off topic slightly for a second? So, Of course. So, Tangent away. So my wife, um, she's put up with a lot with me because I keep moving us around the world. And for me, it's dead yes. easy. Um, I go into yeah. a place, instant network, and she has to start um, all over again. Yeah, every time. And yeah. 
and now we have Otis, you know, her priority goes on to that. And, and so she can eat, sometimes give herself a really hard time about the things she thinks she should be doing. And, and she's amazing and she does more than I could ever achieve in that respect. So the reason I'm saying that is my life, that's, my life is around creativity in both my professional and personal life. And I would like to create more time to do nothing. That creativity for me mm. would be actually space of nothing. And mm. I give myself a hard time about that. And my wife gives herself a hard time about a lot of things. And maybe we just need to stop giving ourselves a hard time about things. And, um, and yeah. there, was, there was someone we, we uh, read about who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And everyone wanted to see them before they, you know, the worst happened. Mm. They drew a, a target, like a bullseye, and placed all the names mm. of the people that were important. The people in the bullseye were the most important, and it went out. And basically, they went, the people in the first two rings I'm going to see, after that, no one else. And so maybe we often put ourselves in situations where we're doing things that maybe we shouldn't do, but maybe just not giving ourselves a hard time will relieve us of that pain, and then maybe we'll... Maybe we'll naturally find it anyway. I hope so. Um, there's a lot yeah. of mental health um, challenges that everyone faces. And yeah, and we, it'd be nice to have a, a bit of a break for everybody. What it, yeah. And I think like, you know, I guess that leads me to, you know, the last question. What? How do you chill out? <laughs> uh, how do I chill out? I chill out by watching utter utter garbage um <laughs> uh reality tv is basically visual prozac for me i love what love island like uh, anything island love stuff. island real housewives of everything like oh i my God. adore okay. it i do it one because it's just it's ridiculous <laughs> but it's also life but i wish i could give you something really beautiful and high elegant brow. yeah high brow. high brow i am i am low rent and low brow i love it through through. i love it low brow i love it I, I mean i just love the paradigm in all of this excellent so um no it's great it's um and i love i just love the fact that you're just so so honest too um and yeah no it's been so 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 cool to chat with you and to just hear about this project. So when 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 does Dream Small get published? Um, we've got it out. I can send you a copy. copy. I'll, I'll send you a copy. Yeah, awesome. I'd I'd love a copy. Thanks, um, Rob. But but if if people do want to get a copy, where do they find one? So they they're gonna have to come to us first because we've done it. Our first part of it is really just so with the people, our clients, and there's a real understanding of what's going on, just for context. Okay. Um, okay. But eventually that will come out. We just want to make sure that it's it's being done to be to change things rather than just to say things. So yeah, that's why there's so a being quite careful about how it's getting. Yeah, I mean, the there's no secrecy. It's not like there's any um, like secrets in it. That's like, no, but no. it's more about I. We also did it as a book rather than a PDF because we want to mm. respect the people who actually talk to us. Like it's too easy with a PDF to just, so it was really important for us to do Blech. that. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah may, maybe we're being a bit um, over, not over sensitive to it, but I, these people, I, I have nothing but respect for what they did for us. Um, but mm. what we have to do to pay that back is to use their voice to try and make things better rather than just talk about it. Um, well, that's right. And that that's what I'm interested in is how does this work actually affect change and what is the next project or what are the series of projects? Because it'll be a series of projects that follow that actually incite action and some transformation down the line. And I think that I think we should stay in touch on that. I'd love that. that that's... And yes, what's been wonderful is, you know, the, you've seen something, right? Yeah. The clients that I've spoken to so far have been amazing. Because um, mm. it can be challenging, you know. And I did, I did a presentation. It was called Even Chickens Fly Higher Than Kiwis. And that's a pretty provocative title. Um, <laughs> and But it was like, what can we do about it? All of us. Um, and it's not about, right. it, part of it is just like open doors more than anything else. But yeah, it's, um, right. but I will send you a copy. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to, I'd love to read it. Thanks so much, Rob. 
Thank you for tuning in. The AdSource podcast has a community of over 5,000 listeners worldwide, and we would love to hear from you. If you would like to support the show, please give us a rating and review, or get in touch via email in the show notes to give us feedback, or just say hi. Don't let the seasons impact your health. Take control and weather the storm with Power Pollen's 100% potentiated bee pollen. Head over to naturebee.com to find out how you can support your everyday health today. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.